Gaming Radio Network at ParanormalKing.com. Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of May 25th, 2021. And this is episode number 481. And this is your host, as always, Dr. Brian D. Parsons. And we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at paranormalking.com. You can find links to listen live if you've uh, missed the show. You're not listening live right now. Uh, ParanormalKing.com, as well as ParanewsInsider.com, the official home of the Paranormal News Insider. And uh, today is a hot day here in Northeast Ohio. Uh, we've had uh, quite a few of those in the last few days. I am not complaining. I do not mind the heat. I do not mind the humidity. I do not mind the sun. I've been out all weekend long working in the garden. And uh, I had to come in today to... Uh, Put this uh, put this show together for you guys, and um, kind of an interesting. We're all over the place tonight, all over the world. Uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the Upper Midwest for some strange reason. Uh, it seems like that happens. It seems like there's a there's always a bunch of stories that happen in a segment of the world. And then, of course, we've got stuff from uh, all over the place. We're going to go to Australia. Tonight, well, not literally. I don't have uh, I don't have a plane rented for that, but uh, eh, maybe someday we'll do that. Uh, and next week, we've got Memorial Day already, so the unofficial start for that, but of uh, summer, yeah, maybe yeah, it's, you got to wait till June twentieth for the official, you know, the sun and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, pools will be opening. Everybody will be all excited. Um, everything's on sale. Everybody wears white. I guess I, I don't know what that's all about. Uh, but Memorial Day next weekend here in the United States, uh, I guess, so. Uh, was it Victoria Day? That was uh, yesterday, May 2-4. Is that what they call it up there? Uh, for most of the country. So they had their long weekend. We get our long weekend next week. And, uh, man, it's it's summertime, uh, unofficially, for, for all of us. So I'm excited. Uh, plants are excited. Uh, they're all dry. We need some rain. That's the only thing I'll complain about. Don't mind the rain. Anyway, you didn't come here for the weather report. You came here for the paranormal news. And like I said, uh, we're headed to the upper Midwest. It's, it's weird. It, it just seemed like story after story uh, this weekend and uh, yesterday and today. Uh, all these upper Midwest stories. So uh, we'll go up to uh, Minnesota. And I guess Wisconsin. We'll start out up there. And you would tend to think uh, that area would uh, have a lot of lake monsters, and I'm sure they do. I only know of a, a small handful. And when we talk about lake monsters, we tend to think of, well, of course, Nessie, the Loch Ness Monster uh, up there in Scotland. And we've mentioned a, a, quite a few others on the show over the years. Uh, pretty, pretty decent list of lake monsters but one that i am pretty sure i've never talked about here on the show uh is uh, recently made the news in minnesota a few weeks ago and uh, kind of put it on the back burner but uh i don't want that story to go away i like talking about different creatures different animals different regional stuff 
Uh, you, a lot of people get up, upset because I talk about the Loch Ness Monster every week, it seems like, here on the show. Uh, so anytime we can explore different creatures, I'm all for it. Uh, so yeah, the Land of 10,000 Lakes is what they call it. It's a little short. I think it's almost, uh, it's like 11,800 and something. It was a trivia question that uh, I used to know. And that's uh, more than 10 acres, I believe, is almost 12,000 lakes. Uh, so the Land of 10,000 Lakes, home to butter, home to, to Target, and a few other big brands up there in Minnesota. Uh, also home, one of those 10,000 lakes is Lake Pepin which is uh, an interesting lake uh, because it's created by the damming of the Mississippi River. It's a natural lake up there, and it's interestingly, it's long and thin, uh, very similar to Loch Ness, which is, uh, I think, 24 miles long. It's about a mile wide, where Lake Pepin, it's a little shorter. Uh, it's about 22 miles long, but it's two miles wide, uh, but again, long and thin, and that creates a lot of problems uh, when wind uh, wind traverses a long, narrow stretch of water, you tend to have a lot of little things happen that people notice and think it's a monster. Uh, it's probably no different here. Uh, it's got its own little monster. And uh, it's not really a tough name. I mean, what do you what do you call a monster in Lake Pepin? Of course, Peppy. It's not really a scary. I guess you don't want a scary monster name. Uh, you got to put it on T-shirts and, and things like that, right? So, uh, Peppy in Lake Pepin. Um, you know, in Lake Pepin, you might not have ever heard of it, but I'm sure you've heard of of water skiing. That's the birthplace of water skiing. Uh, it's, that lake is is probably more known for that than than Peppy, but uh, it's also the location uh, of the Little House series of books probably heard of that uh, the little house on the prairie uh lake peppy was the the location of of all that before they headed out west on the little uh covered wagon uh, however larry nielsen is quick to point out that the lake bordered by wisconsin and minnesota is home to the creature that has been seen in the water since about 1870 oh and not to mention there's a reward out for finding proof of the creature. Uh, so that's going to bring a whole bunch of pontoon boats to that area and uh, people diving looking for Pepe. Uh, Pepe has also been seen by the Dakota Indians who uh, used to, or I think, man, there's still some, well, there's more up there than there is here in Ohio. So there's probably still some tribes up there. Um, Dakota Indians, there's a, a lot of lore in that. Of course, all lake monsters probably started with Native Americans uh, here in the United States, at least. Uh, Nielsen owns a 125-passenger paddle wheel boat named uh, Pearl of the Lake. Pearl of the Lake. So, you know, that tells you kind of right there. Um, I'm not saying he's in it for the money. But 125 passenger paddle wheel boat. Uh, just saying. Uh, he's also the president of the Lake City Tourism Bureau. So there you go. Uh, Nielsen had his own sighting years ago of Pepe and is now uh, reminding people, yes, there's a reward, a $50,000 reward for discovering any scientific proof 
uh, that Pepe exists. And uh, pictures of it on their city website of Lake City uh, kind of show you it's kind of a ripoff of the, the Loch Ness Monster, just not wearing that little fancy hat that Nessie wears, I guess. Uh, or, you know, the, the clothing that is associated with, you know, Nessie. But uh, pretty close, pretty similar shape, same same kind of design. Uh, I don't think they're going to get in trouble for copyright or anything like that. But uh, yeah, they're probably trying to get some people out there, you know, mentioning water skiing and the lake and, you know, oh, you might find a monster. Oh, and there's money. So come on out here and visit. Probably going to be on the uh, Minnesota Travel Bureau posters and things like that. But uh, for some reason, Pepe's been pretty quiet. Not heard much out of it uh, for decades. And like I said, it's not really one of the top creatures that you hear uh, about from that region. That's usually the Beast of Bray Road. Uh, but y- yeah, you don't hear much about Pepe at, at all. But apparently... Uh, sightings have been ramping up for the last 15, 20 years, according to uh, Nielsen. And the, uh, let's see, here on the, the Daily Yonder, it's a pretty cool name for a upper Midwest online news website. Uh, it also mentions a, a nice book to read on the subject. And I, and, uh, I do have a, a book of the week tonight. We'll talk about that here on the show, but uh, this is an interesting book. I've not read this one, but I'm kind of interested in this now about reading about Peppy. Uh, it's called Peppy, the Lake Monster of the Mississippi River. And that's by Chad Lewis and Noah Voss. And Chad Lewis is a, is a good cryptozoologist, good author. So uh, that's an interesting book. If you, if you have any interest in the region and that monster, uh, that's the book that you got to get. Peppy, the Lake Monster of the Mississippi River. Um, but Pepe isn't the only strange animal on the loose in the region. No, of course not. Mentioned it before that uh, there's a lot of stuff usually going on in a particular region. Um, people in Wisconsin, so on the other side of Lake Pepin, uh, people have been on the lookout for a loose alligator. Of course, you know, we've, we talk about alligators uh, being seen uh, generally in the eastern United States, northeast. Uh, they're not supposed to be there. They can't really live there. Uh, but people are, are letting these things loose. They get too big and uh, they can't live in the bathtub anymore. So they let it loose. Uh, this one, however, escaped on its own. And I'll tell you, you know, I've been to Florida a number of times, probably more times than I can count. And if you go to Florida, I'm sure if you've been to Florida, you've seen this, you've played this uh, miniature golf that have uh, small alligators as part of the attraction. There's a number of uh, uh, different businesses down there uh, that do that. Uh, in Bondul, Wisconsin, there's a Docks Harley-Davidson, not to be mistaken with the Docks Harley-Davidson in St. Louis, Missouri, that you might be aware of. Uh, Docks Harley-Davidson in Bondul, Wisconsin. Yeah, they not only sell motorcycles to people who want to uh, pay good money to be rebels, uh, but also has a saloon and a bar. All right, so a lot of these Harley-Davidson dealerships have a restaurant attached. That's part of the, part of the, uh, the lure for this thing. 
Uh, but Doc also has a classic car and cycle museum. And on top of that, it's even got a zoo. The zoo features many rescued animals, uh, including goats, donkeys, macaws, alpacas, emus, a red kangaroo, a camel, horses, uh, rabbits, a kuni uh, kuni pig, which is the only hog they won't sell. <laughs> you, you get it? The only hog they won't sell to Harley dealership. Okay, anyway. Uh, and a handful of American alligators, as uh, as well as uh, quite a few other smaller animals, sugar glider and a bunch of other stuff. Um, and, well, one of the alligators is, is gone, mysteriously. Vanished without a trace. Uh, Steve Doc Hopkins has had the alligator for 35 years and is named Rex. Maybe like T-Rex? I don't know, just maybe just Rex like a dog? I don't know. Uh, the alligators are kept inside an enclosure during the winter uh, with a heated pool, which really sounds nice. Maybe I'll come back as an alligator. Uh, earlier this uh, last week, the alligators were put back out into their outdoor enclosure. And on Saturday, May 22nd, uh, Doc Hopkins came out to feed the alligators and, well, noticed that Rex was gone. A big alligator. Uh, Hopkins uh, joked, he said, quote, The only thing I can think is maybe he was pumping iron all during COVID or something and planning his escape. I don't know, unquote. Uh, he was joking, but he was heartbroken that the alligator was gone. Uh, wasn't sure if somebody stole it or it just ran off. Maybe it stole a motorcycle and rode off down to Florida. Who knows? Uh, but he was quick to contact the Shawano County Sheriff's Department uh, to uh, get uh, people looking for this thing. And as well, it's, is to uh, notify the general public, which uh, he's attached to very well with social media. Of course, owning a business. Uh, you're pretty attached to the uh, to the general public. Uh, he and authorities urge the public to keep their distance if they do see Rex or, of course, any other alligator in the wild, because you never know. Seems like they're appearing everywhere lately. Uh, Hopkins also said, quote, there was no sign of the enclosure being breached in any way or the gator digging underneath or anything. It's just very strange. This has never happened before. The old gator is very unathletic and quite overweight. He can barely open his jaws. He has terrible arthritis in his jaws. If he can open up his jaw an inch and a half, it's a lot. The most he could do is probably slap you with his tail, and that is only if you get close and upset him, unquote. Uh, so this poor old guy uh, escaped, can't really do any damage, can't really eat anything, probably not going to be chasing down uh, deer or elk or anything like that. Um, there elk in Minnesota? Well, I'm sure. Maybe. Uh, luckily, on Monday afternoon, just before 5 p.m., just before closing time, Doc's son Steve located Rex in a swampy wooded area on the 28-acre complex, and the alligator was then safely returned to his enclosure. Ah, I love it when these things turn out... Uh, turn out good um but that's nice i was worried that the story uh, wouldn't have closure by today but uh, it's good to hear 
that Rex was safely captured, safely transported back to his enclosure. Hopefully they figure out how he got out. I mean, uh, some alligators can climb. Uh, we've heard of them climbing fences and and uh, different things, but how does an old arthritic alligator get out of an enclosure? Hmm. Uh, the alligator is okay, and uh, the cool thing about this, I was reading about this uh, Doc's Zoo and his Harley dealership. Uh, he doesn't actually charge anything to go see the zoo, so if you're interested in a motorcycle, lunch, and uh, animals, it's uh, probably a really good place to go hang out at. Uh, but he does take, uh, accept donations uh, for care of the animals, and he does have a, a crew of people who do take care of the, the, the animals there that are usually abandoned, uh, unwanted exotic animals. And they uh, monitor their diet. So they urge people not to feed them, not to give them any food or throw them stuff uh, because they're uh, on strict diets and they need to verify what they're eating. Well, it sounds to me like Rex is not on a strict diet. If he's overweight and arthritic, uh, but Hey, if you're a 35 year old alligator, I guess you get to eat whatever you want as long as it uh, doesn't have uh, four legs. And, you know, I mentioned it earlier. Uh, we'll get to, uh, I'll double back. We'll talk about, there's really not much going on in the events, but I will mention, uh, I'll look at the calendar real quick. I got to update that. I have a bad thing of not updating that through the week. I wait till I do the, the show update to go and update the calendar, but uh, we'll talk about that here in a second so i don't you know i don't know what doc gets out of that. he's not making money which is what i thought uh you got to have a gimmick for these harley dealerships um it's a pretty competitive thing i know here in ohio we've got uh i've well, i've seen four or five i'm not really big on harleys at all uh i like motorcycles i have a motorcycle uh, but i'm not not into the the culture that much i'm not really not into harleys that much but you got to be competitive. You got to have a gimmick when you're trying to sell motorcycles. Like I said, a lot of them have restaurants. So, you know, it's a, it's a destination. It's not just a place to go look at motorcycles. Harley has had a heck of a time selling bikes, you know, recently. And that company's had some trouble. So they're trying to get, you know, a whole new clientele to buy their bikes. And uh, it sounds like he's a good hearted kind of guy. Uh, so he's probably. Seems to me like he really genuinely cares about animals. So he's probably just getting that, uh, you know, that extra exotic. I don't know the laws up there in Minnesota, but it sounds like um, they're a little tougher than, than most states. I know here in Ohio, it took uh, a very big incident a number of years ago for us to pass legislation about exotic animals. So good on him to take these animals in. Uh, he doesn't have anything majorly exotic with the exception of the alligators there's no lions there's no bears uh, mountain lions or anything like that it doesn't have anything big unless you think a camel's big which i guess they are kind of big but you know they're not dangerous or anything like that alligators it doesn't take too much to take care of those guys if you have the room and you have the money uh, but i'm sure selling bikes uh, the guy makes a lot of money off of that stuff anyway I did mention the Loch Ness Monster earlier in the show and uh, collective eye roll from everybody. Yeah, we do have a story on the Loch Ness Monster. Not so much 
the Loch Ness Monster itself, but the celebration of the 25th anniversary of Gary Campbell. So we every pretty much every time we do a story on the Loch Ness Monster, uh, we talk about Gary Campbell. And Gary Campbell's known as the keeper of the official Loch Ness Monster register. And that's uh, any sighting uh, basically goes to Gary and his website and is judged on whether or not it has any weight to it. If it went through me, uh, I don't think there'd be any sightings uh, pretty much ever. It'd be pretty rare to actually have a sighting. Uh, But Campbell uh, has logged 1,130 official sightings in his 25 years and he states quote and i gotta quote him on this because i can't say this with a straight face he says quote the sightings are getting more credible all the time unquote okay um so (laughs) 2021 there are currently six sightings this year although uh, i think i think all those but maybe with the exception of one are from the Loctus webcam and that's uh it's like putting a potato in space and trying to see something swimming uh in lake Erie. that's not good it's not good uh there was a total of 13 sightings last year Uh, he also states that a majority of claims of sightings do not make it into the official register Uh, so what makes it there are technically the best of the best although you know, I've argued uh, pretty much all of them here on the show. Uh, there's a few every now and again that are pretty interesting. They can't really tell what it is, which is, I think, part of the allure of these creatures, um, especially these sightings of the Loch Ness Monster. It keeps the keeps the hope alive by the amb- ambiguity of these sightings. And I, I think people don't want to ever discover it. They, they say they do, but I, I don't think they really do. I think the thought... That it could exist, that it might exist, that it's just out of our reach is what keeps this thing alive. Uh, that's just uh, how I look at it. Um, hmm, that's an interesting question. In chat, uh, they're asking, uh, is there any anti-Lockness groups? That's a very interesting question. I've never really thought of that. Uh, there's a lot of scientists that are pretty much anti-Lockness monster. Uh, because, yeah, it shouldn't exist. Um, so fairly landlocked. Now, you can get uh, – some creatures can get in from the ocean, the open ocean. Now, you got to swim up through against the current and do some technology that's out there. Uh, so pretty much a large creature is not going to get in there. They don't have whales. Uh, they do get seals every now and again. Uh, but that uh, Loch Ness is formed about 10,000 years ago, so you're not going to have an ancient Plesiosaur swimming around in there. That's just not possible. Uh, not to mention, uh, they probably couldn't survive in that cold water. Maybe I'm an anti-Loch Ness monster. Maybe I'll, well, yeah, we'll form a group right here on the show, I think. And uh, we'll get a lot of hate mail. I'll send it to, I guess I'll put all that to, to Doug. He can get all the hate mail for that, uh, the group. Anyway, uh, the Loch Ness monster, the official Loch Ness Monster Sightings Register can be found online at LochNessSightings.com. All one word, LochNessSightings.com. And you can uh, 
man, just traverse the history. You click on the links and, and read about all the fascinating sightings. See all those wonderful pictures, uh, clear and focused and up close. Not really, uh, of the Loch Ness monster. Uh, it's it's a uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty interesting. It's worth a laugh sometimes at some of these things that actually make it uh, make it into the uh, the register. It's it is kind of actually a little hilarious. Um, we do have one more cryptid story, but I'm going to break off right here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna wrap all this. Our first few sightings, uh, I should say stories, uh, I guess of sightings, uh, all these happened in the upper Midwest, right? Except for the Loch Ness Monster, of course. Um, but uh, I got a book here, Book of the Week. Now, I don't own this one. I'll admit it up front. I don't own it, but I have read it. Um, probably should admit that either because it was in a used bookstore. I didn't buy it. There's only a couple of books, but I think I bought some some albums instead. So I didn't, I didn't buy this, uh, but I did peruse it because uh, I do have, uh, well, at least one friend in Wisconsin. And I wanted to peruse this book to uh, read a little bit more about Monsters of Wisconsin, which is the name of the book of the week. And generally, these are books that I own, but I could vouch for this because of the author. I've read a number of books by this particular author. And uh, like I said, I've thumbed through it, read a few uh, different excerpts of of this uh, book. I don't read the whole thing. And I don't think that Pepe is actually in this book, uh, even though this is Wisconsin, which he does border Wisconsin. I don't remember seeing it, although there is a big chapter on lake monsters. And I, I didn't I don't remember if I read the whole thing thoroughly, uh, but the book is called Monsters of Wisconsin. Mysterious Creatures in the Badger State. Uh, the book came out back in 2011. And the author is Linda Godfrey, who is uh, probably one of the premier researchers in that region of the United States. And of course, uh, number one creature on this is also on the front cover of the book, which uh, I didn't have a throw that in the chat room gently. Um, the Beast of Bray Road, right there on the front cover, uh, of course. It's pretty much the premier creature in that region. Um, you know, every region's got to have it. You know, West Virginia's got Mothman, uh, Ohio, I don't know, Loveland Frog, maybe. We're, we're known for Bigfoot, too. We're in the top five uh, most times, most lists for Bigfoot. You know, California, Oregon, Washington usually get that. Uh, but you got to have something. Uh, it is a good book. Uh, anything that Linda Godfrey puts out is, uh, I have a hard time putting down. Uh, they're generally really thoroughly researched and contains a lot of great information. And if the, the flow, the way she writes is, is really good. And a lot of dry humor in there. Uh, she's known for her dry humor, which I enjoy because that's the same way I am as well. So um, lots of great things in there. I do remember reading about uh, kangaroos, which really got my my attention, because at the time that I read this, I actually had a case here in Northeast Ohio where somebody saw a kangaroo. So um, that jumps out at me. Of course, the Beast of Bray Road. There's a lot of Bigfoot stuff, um, and like I said, she does talk about um, 
a lot of the uh, lake monsters that are in the region. Of course, there's a lot of lake stuff and, you know, a lot of Native American folklore. So, of course, you're going to get uh, a lot of the uh, that folklore as part of your um, your makeup of stuff. But, yeah, big a lot of Bigfoot stuff. Uh, I wish I could remember some of the names of those things. Um, but there are so many regional Bigfoot stories in that area. It's, it's crazy. Uh, creatures of the sky. There's also uh, some flying things. I know uh, Lizard Man. They have uh, a man bat up there. Uh, and they do have, of course, got my attention because I'm, I'm a big cat kind of guy. Uh, she does have a, a section on out-of-place animals and does talk about Black phantom cats, a different uh, variety of black cats up there that are seen. Um, it's also got there was some weird stuff. There's some alien stuff and some like uh, short people things. Am I allowed to say that without getting in trouble? I don't know. She wrote it, not me. Uh, but of course, it caps off with the werewolves, the dogmen, all that stuff that's uh, really big up there. Uh, with uh, Wisconsin, I think I think the Beast of Bray Road eats cheese as well. I'm pretty sure. Uh, not really, just saying. Uh, but uh, interesting region. I do have a, a friend, a researcher up there, uh, Jay Bachochin, who's uh, known for his uh, Finding Jay documentary. Uh, I believe he's got part two coming up pretty soon. But he's an excellent researcher. Uh, if I ever get up there, he'll take me to the Bray Road, and we can. Can hang out and watch for the monster up there, but uh, great area, lots of monsters up there. And again, the uh, yeah, I do believe she she does live in Wisconsin, Linda Godfrey. Uh, so monsters of Wisconsin, mysterious creatures in the Badger State. Our book of the week this week. Uh, I'm not sure where she's from. I know she's from that region, uh, but anyway. Book of the week, gotta have one back. It's been a while, and uh, I promised. Uh, let me look at the links here. So yeah, I haven't updated the the conferences, conventions. Uh, it's, we're hitting the warm part of the year where uh, a lot of stuff usually happens in May, but it, it seems like June, July this year is going to be the heavy months for all this stuff. Uh, I do know phenomenology that was supposed to be. Earlier this year has been rescheduled to June 3rd through the 5th in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. I'm pretty sure that's still on. We've got the Fort Mifflin Paranormal Expo 2021 uh, as well on the the 5th of June. Yeah, it looks like it's uh, Phenomenology is still on. It's, it's actually Phenomenology 2020 is what they're billing it, so... You know, rescheduled so we don't have to give you a refund. Um, Ghost events. Uh, Contact in the desert is coming up in the UFO arena June 4th through the 7th. And cryptozoology. Let's see, this weekend, uh, nothing. Nothing. Not until j- late June, early July. Uh, we've got a bunch of events. I'll get that updated tonight. I've got time tonight. I'm off tomorrow, so I'm off all week. So I got time. We'll get that updated. And now back to our regularly scheduled program. 
So we did start off the show with the Peppy, the scary lake monster in Lake Pepin in uh, Minnesota. Eh, borders Wisconsin. I'll give it to you guys as well. Um, you know, and, and Peppy, I'm pretty sure that's the first time I've ever mentioned him on the show. But uh, another monster that we've occasionally talked about doesn't get a whole lot of love here on the show. Uh, the Yowie. And the Yowie is the Australian version of Bigfoot. No, he's not upside down. Uh, he's big and hairy and uh, quite scary. And he, just like the American cousin, doesn't have a whole lot of proof of its existence. Uh, you know, they're pretty hopeful down there that they can uh, uh, get validation of this creature, just like we are here in the United States. But uh, Yowie is extremely elusive. Uh, they do get uh, prints casts uh, i know uh, their big guy down there they don't have a map money maker but they got a rex gilroy who's like their go-to guy down there for for yaoi uh, but researchers in queensland recently captured what they say is the best evidence of the yaoi ever collected man it's not your standard um foot casts or anything like that that are just uh look hoaxed or fake or anything like that but um a proof it's got some video proof here uh you know i i guess they've kind of given up on the thylacine maybe we haven't heard much of that uh, but the yowie every now and then it, it uh, makes a splash here in the news uh dean harrison states the australian yowie researchers group captured thermal images this month in the Springbrook National Forest in the Gold Coast of Queensland, Australia, uh, that show not one, but two heat signatures in the scrub in uh, the bushland. Uh, Harrison stated, quote, two large yowies appeared from behind a tree. Uh, it's doing what yowies do. They all hug a tree. I didn't know that. Uh, there is one Hugging a tree so he blends in. Uh, so Buck, who, uh, Buck Buckingham, who took the video, uh, can't see him, unquote. Uh, so apparently, you know, they're out doing their research, which, you know, with, uh, you know, it's just like the ghost field. And I, again, it kind of goes back to what I was saying about the Loch Ness Monster. It's almost like. Uh, Bigfoot people and Yowie people and Yaren people and anybody who searches for any of these creatures, really any creature, uh, they always put themselves at the biggest disadvantage that they can. It's almost like they don't want to find evidence. They want to talk about that they did, but they don't actually want to actually get anything. So they go out in the middle of the night and they can't see five feet in front of them. And they, they still claim to come back with great evidence instead of going out during the day. Which I still don't understand that. Why would you put yourself at a disadvantage? I mean, if these things are sleeping, you got a better chance of capturing that, that stuff. I'm just saying. Uh, so in the chat room, I've shared uh, this image. It's a, it's a purple image. It looks like uh, something's on fire, pretty much. But the thermal imaging, uh, anyone who's used thermal imaging knows there's a, a variety of settings you can use. Uh, I'm not sure the conditions that they use. So they would be in, what, winter right now down there? Almost in winter. So in fall, uh, 
I don't know the camera setup, but I'm not sure they. I'm not sure they're on the right setting. To be honest, the people don't tend to know their equipment too well before they use it out in the field. So I'm, I'm not sure how much experience they actually have with their thermal imaging cameras, but there are a number of settings you can use, and they just use the most dynamic setting. Now, either way, they still, it still uh, shows heat signatures, and there's a potential heat signature, obviously a uh, very big variation in heat with this creature, whatever this thing is. Uh, we don't know what it is. could be a person, could be uh, anything. could be a thylacine for all we know. Uh, you don't really see enough of an outline. Uh, they did show uh, the investigators. They took the picture of the investigator standing there, and you could pretty see pretty clear outlines of these people and other features uh, to to tell that they were people. And this thing here is just kind of a blob. Of course, what would we expect? Um, I don't know. Not overwhelming. It's just a a bright blob. Is he hugging a tree? I don't know. I'm not sure. Looks like a backpack. I don't know. Uh, the researchers also state uh, that uh, this is kind of more interesting to me than this picture. Uh, they state that the Yowie left rocks in their path as well during the night. So Harrison said, quote, uh, later they placed four markers directly on the tracks where Buck was standing the previous night. The markers were not there on our way in and we're not there at 2 a.m., but they were there at 6 a.m. on our way out. Um, unquote. So question in chat is, can you create imaginary heat signatures with the camera? Now you could with reflections, you could with rocks or other solid objects that retain heat more than trees. Trees don't retain heat. Uh, very well. Uh, leaves obviously use photosynthesis to survive. Trees are just made out of wood. They don't really hold heat very long. Uh, it dissipates pretty quick. But anything uh, that's rock-like or you know other materials can hold heat. Uh, if a person was up there and they leaned up against the tree, they could leave a, a heat, uh, dare I say, ghost imprint. Uh, this has happened on uh, TV shows. Um, was it Ghost Hunters? This actually happened where one of the investigators was leaning up against the wall and he moved away and there was a ghostly imprint on the wall and they said it was a ghost. Well, if you watch the show, you could see that the person was actually leaning up against the wall uh, minutes prior too. So it is possible that something is there that retained a heat signature. Uh, but if that object moved, that's a little different story. Uh, and again, there's no accompanying. Well, I guess there is. I did see some pictures. Uh, they actually did take pictures where you could see it, like a brownish blob thing standing there. Uh, so maybe there was something there. But again, you don't know if this was a, a person in a costume uh, or a person standing there. There's no other accompanying evidence. There's no collection of uh, prints. There's no collection of any fur. Uh, they didn't follow this creature, which is the number one thing. I just don't understand why cryptozoologists do. You're out there to, to get validation, to get proof. Uh, you can follow. You can figure out where this thing came from, where it's going to. There's a lot of things you can do. Uh, if you've ever tracked a deer, you've ever tracked a, uh, any animal ever, you should be able to track this thing to, to a somewhat decent distance instead of just standing there 
jumping up and down and running out trying to get on social media to put your pictures on there. You know, follow the creature. I just don't understand why people aren't doing that more. Uh, that's what I would do. That's what I've done when I've found animals that I'm looking for or, or interested in, trying to figure out where they're coming from or where they're going to. Not that difficult. Um, and if you have this kind of technology, you should be able to you know, follow these creatures. I think we give these animals or creatures of these stories too much credit here. Uh, but the Yowie, it sounds like it outsmarted them pretty much here. But uh, that's what we get. Uh, and the coolest name I think I've ever heard of, of any cryptozoologist or anybody out there researching strange animals, Buck Buckingham. Pretty cool. Uh, that's the gentleman who shot the video. Uh, he also stated that one Yowie entered the area, followed by the second about 20 minutes later. Uh, but the one tried to hug a, hug a tree to hide from him. And uh, he said that neither one of the creatures made any noise when they entered or left the area. But I'm not sure how far away uh, they were from these creatures at any point in time. And why they didn't uh, you know, try to uh, try to do anything. I mean, I mean, I talked about it briefly in my book, Handbook for the Amateur Cryptozoologist, not to plug my stuff, but to plug my stuff, uh, about techniques of, of going out there and doing things like this. So the, you get into small groups, you know, you see uh, they do it on uh, Finding Bigfoot, where they actually get into small groups of people and they kind of, uh, coordinate an area so that you can hear. So if one group hears something and the other group hears something, you kind of triangulate that a little bit. Uh, well, of course, you need three groups to triangulate anything, but uh, it does help figure out where things are happening. Uh, and it also allows you to be in a position, again, to where you can figure out where things are coming from or going to. Now, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm obviously not familiar with the... Uh, Springbrook National Forest or, you know, really, I'm at a disadvantage when it comes to Australia. I've never been there. I don't know. They got so many weird animals. I'm not sure I would live more than a week down there in Australia with the strange creatures that they have. But um, I just don't get the techniques that, that a lot of Bigfooters and Yowie, what do they call them? Yowieers? Yowie investigators? Yowie researchers? I don't know. Um, it's just It's just difficult sometimes. To think, you know, and I get it, you're out there, you're a little nervous, you're not sure what these things are going to do to you, uh, but you got to find out. you got to figure out, is this really a yaoi? Is this something else? Is this a person? You know, you got to make an effort, I guess, instead of just retreating and throwing stuff on social media, which is, seems like uh, everybody does. Um, I don't know why I'm, I'm just so salty about this and. I recently did a uh, an article for uh, might have heard of this kid Colin Schneider who used to be uh, we used to share a network together way back in the day. Uh, he was the crypto kid, uh, you know, he's a young kid. He was uh, 15, 16, way back then, way back when. Uh, now he's a lot older. He's graduated high school. Uh, took some time off, which uh, you kind of figure you would. Well, there's a lot of stuff going on in your life at that age. And uh, it's kind of making a little bit of a comeback. And he sent me a five-question 
a thing on cryptozoology. And I'll tell you, I was like really, really skeptical with the questions. I was really kind of went to town on it. When I get, uh, when it gets that published, I'll send out a link. I'll probably talk about it here next week. Um, but I, I reread it uh, this morning. I was like, man, am I angry about cryptozoology or what? But you, you got to be, you got to be skeptical. Uh, I think after writing my book, and anytime you write a book, whether it's uh, a fiction or nonfiction, which this book was, I guess you could call it nonfiction, um, you do a lot of research. And when you do a lot of research, you discover things that maybe you didn't know uh, just to make sure that you're given the right information. And yeah, I probably walked away a little bit more skeptical about the whole thing that I did uh, before, although I didn't really learn a whole lot. It's just kind of, you kind of think about things a lot more uh, when you're trying to give perspective to somebody who uh, you're trying to teach about a topic. And uh, you got to be skeptical. So many people in in the uh, cryptid field, in the ghost field, the UFO field, that People that research this stuff just believe it blindly, and you got to be careful with that. You got to be you got to be skeptical. And you know, I've through the years, you hear about ghost groups, and and you see them on their their little web pages, and they got all their pictures. You know, they're standing there with their arms folded and their black matching black T-shirts, and you know, every group has got a a group skeptic, and I think that's horrible. Like everybody should be skeptical. Uh, if you go into something expecting something you're going to get it uh, if you go there trying to figure out what's going on you got a better chance of actually getting some some solid evidence versus stuff that's going to make you look silly in the long run uh here uh with this yowie australian yowie research photograph we really don't know it's really ambiguous and to come out and say that this is definitive proof or definitive evidence of a Yahweh, I think is uh, kind of irresponsible. I'll say it. It's my show. I can do it. And I will say it. It's, it's irresponsible. You don't have anything to back it up. A bunch of guys standing around with cameras pointed into the woods. You see something you can't explain that does not mean it's a Yahweh. Unless Yahweh is another word for opinion or belief. And that's just, uh, you know, kind of how I felt, uh, you know, writing the uh, the answers to, to Colin Schneider's blog. It just felt like, uh, you know, belief is the bigger piece of all this stuff. It's not so much the pursuit, which is where I started. You know, I wanted to know what's going on with these creatures. What's going on? Why are people seeing these things? What are they seeing? You know, now I know what they're seeing. They're seeing tree stumps. They're seeing bears. They're misidentifying things. A lot. And some people are just, uh, they are crazy. They just are, you know, you can't, uh, you can't, uh, you can't, you know, give them any other words. You, you want to be positive about it. They say, do you think I'm crazy? So you said you saw an eight foot creature run through your front yard, uh, jump over a car and run into the woods. And nobody else saw it in the middle of the day. No, you're definitely not crazy. Um, but yeah, I, I think with cryptozoology, it's it's not so much the search for missing or hidden animals. I think it's more of the continuation of belief in these things. And uh, like, you know, I've set up with the Loch Ness Monster. 
uh, I don't think people really want to find it. I think it's the, the continuation of the story, people seeing things. That's what keeps it going. And it's ambiguous. You know, we never see anything close up. We just see something, a ripple in the water. And these stories continue to give life to these things. And I, I think that's pretty much true in all angles of cryptozoology, maybe even all the paranormal. Maybe that's what it's all about. Um, I mean, not for me. I, I want to prove that mountain lions exist in the eastern uh, United States. Um, I'm not so much interested in Mothman or all these crazy creatures, these one-offs. Uh, but I think, you know, the field is big enough for people to have their their belief systems and to want to pursue things. But we we got to be a little bit more objective about things. And uh, let me use both hands here and I'll climb off of my soapbox without falling down. And uh, and uh, we'll head into UFO news. Um, yeah, so, uh, well, one more thing. So I see in the chat room, we're talking about debunking. And debunking, to me, is just being dismissive. And I've never liked the word debunk. We heard that a lot in the ghost field. Uh, I'm not one to debunk. I'm one to figure out. Uh, replicate things, see if I can find a logical reason for things. Uh, you don't see a whole lot of that in the cryptid field. Uh, we saw something here. What could it be? Well, how big is it? You, you do see that on Finding Bigfoot. It's a one thing that I always liked is when, uh, you know, Bobo would go out by the tree. Oh, Bobo, go over there. You're tall and you're big and tall. You look kind of look like a Sasquatch. Go stand by the tree. And the witness would stand at the exact angle and he would say, is it this tall? Is it this tall? And we keep raising his hand and the, the witness would be, yeah, 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 yeah. It was that tall. So that's somewhat scientific, but unless you know exactly where the creature was and exactly where the person was standing, um, that help, helps give you a sense of scale for the thing. And, you know, there's a little bit of science there, but um, yeah, I'm not big on just debunking or just saying, uh, let's figure out how we can prove this wrong because that's, that's not really what you should be doing. If somebody said they saw something, that's what they saw. You can't prove them otherwise. And you can come up with uh, logical reasons for it. But when a person says, hey, I saw a nine-foot-tall, 500-pound creature walk through my backyard, well, that's what they saw because that's what they're saying. Uh, but I think as researchers, we've got to look uh, for alternative explanations without just dismissing things. That's all I'm saying. Anyway. Let me get down before I fall down off the soapbox. And uh, like I said, we'll head into UFO news. Now we're waiting on pins and needles for the big announcement uh, for the U.S. government to uh, come out and say, yes, we've got proof. We've got uh, got aliens buried out there in Arizona or New Mexico or in uh, down in uh, Dayton, Ohio, wherever this ends up going or uh, my opinion is they're going to come out and say, yeah, we've got a lot of other videos. We've got a lot of other photos. But we've got no clue what's going on. I think we give the government too much credit. We think that they're they're hiding everything. They've got proof. They've got, they got uh, alien technology and, and alien bodies and all these. I, I don't think they have anything personally. But uh, we're waiting. Uh, June 25th, I believe, is the uh, cutoff date. 
for them to release information about what they know about UFOs. Although, uh, you know, people are saying that anytime from June 1st on, that's uh, when we're, we're waiting for this stuff. Uh, so kind of waiting on pins and needles for this. I don't, I'm not going to hold my breath. I don't really think they'll come out with anything. Uh, I think they'll just keep pushing this along and just keep uh, allowing different sightings to pop out one by one from here to uh, whenever uh, until things change again. Uh, but anyway, as far as UFOs are concerned, uh, we've been talking about this particular kind of thing for quite a while. And people do their research and they find out that it's it's actually this and not UFOs. And the news is finally catching on to this. A recent story on ZMEScience.com has a headline that reads, quote, Elon Musk's Starlink satellites are triggering a UFO craze. With a UFO craze in quotes, inside the quotes of the headline. Uh, social media has been reporting strange rows of bright lights in the sky all over the world. And last week, uh, Starlink again launched another 52 satellites from the Kennedy Space Center in Florida. And big shocker, UFO reports flooded in as the satellites were deployed in their traditional line formation. So people see this line of lights in the sky. And they automatically assume, of course, uh, they're alien spaceships coming here to invade the United States, of course, uh, because, you know, we're inundated with movies on this. Here's a fun fact. I just found this uh, yesterday when I was doing a little research for the article or the blog post that I um, answered questions for. So about 40 percent, four zero, uh, 40 percent of the top 100 grossing movies of all time, depending upon which one you go to is uh, quite a few websites, yeah, quite a few different, but about 40%, give or take, uh, of those movies are based on aliens of some sort. Granted, you have the uh, the MCU, the DCEU, uh, Transformers, and uh, was it Star Wars franchises contributed a lot to that. But uh, there's also like E.T., the extraterrestrial, and Independence Day. So we're inundated with this... Uh, this culture. And, you know, so we see anything weird in the sky, it's automatically a UFO. Uh, Canada has documented a notable surge in 911 calls following the launches uh, where deployment can be seen in, uh, in their country. Uh, Tracy Duval, a dispatcher, stated, quote, we were, we're getting a lot of calls. Or we were getting a lot of calls with the SpaceX satellite launches. Uh, they're a specific pattern in the sky. They're not hitting the ground. And we can just explain very quickly to people that there are actual satellites. We have situations where people are saying that aliens are coming, unquote. Uh, so people do panic. And I've mentioned it here on the show before. Uh, the satellites are seen in the sky because they're catching sunlight while in orbit or headed to orbit. A few hours before sunrise or a few hours just after sunset uh, because the sun's rays, they're still there. We can't see it. It's, you know, so the sky is dark. Uh, sometimes you'll see, you know, that it's starting to come up 
a little bit. But the craft high in the sky is going to hit that sunlight that we can't see because, again, there's nothing up there for it to reflect off of. It's not directly hitting us. Uh, so that's what we see. And we see uh, scintillating satellites all the time. I used to uh, go out of my way to try to find these things between uh, about 10 o'clock at night and midnight or uh, if I'm up and out, you know, at 2 to 4 in the morning or 3 to 5 in the morning, depending upon what time of the year, uh, you can see this stuff. It's pretty neat. Uh, and Starlink satellites are, are low Earth orbit. And I'll tell you what's scary is that uh, Starlink has only launched about 600 of these satellites, and they plan on doing about 12,000, 12,000 satellites. We've only had 600, and literally uh, hundreds, if not in the, the low thousands of, of UFO reports, have uh, flooded in over the years. And they've only been approved for about 12,000, but they do plan on potentially launching up to 30 thousand satellites in all and that is just one company that's just starlink and uh, other companies are also planning on launching their own mega constellations of these uh, satellites so to put that in further perspective uh, there's only been about nine thousand total satellites put up in space so far and about two thousand of them are currently operational and provide modern technology use. But again, uh, Starlink satellites in a low Earth orbit, so they're kind of a, a low danger. And with low orbit, meaning they're, they'll eventually be pulled in by the gravitational pull of the Earth uh, when their, their life cycle is up. Uh, they can actually be plummeted back down to Earth on command if necessary. Uh, they'll burn up in the atmosphere uh, which means they're not going to be permanent space junk floating around the planet. Well, hopefully that's what's going to happen. Uh, and on the flip side, on the good side of this, uh, the Starlink satellites will provide global broadband coverage that will fill in the gaps created in remote areas of the world and even here in the United States where people can't get internet coverage. It's come in handy in emergency situations as well. So... Uh, you know, it's technology moving forward. Granted, there's a lot of issues with it, and I think UFO sightings is probably the least, although you kind of worry, you know, it's tying up 911 uh, operators uh, because of this stuff. But, um, you know, astronomers have complained about this. So photographers have complained about this. Uh, and it's just going to get worse. And in the meantime, the satellites continue to add to the paranoia surrounding UFOs. And, you know, I thought it would be more well-known uh, about the phenomenon of seeing these streaky lights in the sky, but uh, apparently not. Apparently not. Uh, one last story to share with you in Ghost News. If you haven't heard the excitement, I mean, I could care less. Uh, just when we thought it was gone, Ghost Hunters, the television show, is back once again. Uh, but not that version. No, 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 no. Not what you're thinking. It's another version. So the last news we heard about the show was that uh, Grant Wilson was leading the Ghost Hunters. Uh, that show got uh, canned. It was not being renewed on the A&E network. Uh, he kind of seemed out of it. Just really didn't seem like he was really into it that much, I think. Uh, but, uh, of course, COVID had a lot to do with it. And the new incarnation of Ghost Hunters 
is essentially the Ghost Nation crew pretty much flying the old banner of the show. And it's going from cable to streaming. It's going to uh, Discovery Plus. So it's going to be Jason Haas, uh, Steve Gonsalves, Dave Tango, uh, Sherry D. Benedetti. They're all from Ghost Nation, which is weird. I don't know why they just don't call it Ghost Nation on Discovery Plus. But I guess, you know, with Haas, well, Gonsalves and Tango. Uh, so, yeah, it's back. And Grant Wilson tweeted out the announcement. Uh, he kind of sidestepped it. He said, uh, quote, hey, if you didn't know by now, Ghost Hunters was sold to Discovery Plus. But with the team from Ghost Nation, I was not involved in the transaction, nor am I part of a new rendition. I wish them success with it. Unquote. So uh, I don't know if he's salty. He's not back. He's not coming back. Uh, who knows, though, because they kind of teased that there's going to be a lot of people visiting the show on uh, Discovery Plus. So shell out more money. $5 here, $7 here, $9 there. And we all complain about the cost of cable. Yikes. Uh, the series will include 13 one-hour episodes and will probably begin this fall. There's not a, a date that I know yet on discovery plus but uh if you're interested in that show it's gonna be on for 30 years i'm just telling you this show is gonna be on forever uh anyway joey next weekend memorial day i'll be working yay i work in retail so i have no choice uh enjoy your memorial day uh go to a parade have fun uh don't get sunburned i'll be taking next week off so I won't see you next week. I'll see you in two. Uh, but for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting. <laughs>